0: Hello and welcome to New Business Paradigms. I'm Matt Renner, the Executive Director of the World Business Academy, and I'm here with Ronaldo Brutico, the Academy's President and Founder. The World Business Academy is a nonprofit business think tank and action incubator dedicated to transforming the consciousness of business leaders, business students, and the public at large in order to inspire business to take responsibility for the whole of society. We are recording this show on November 20th, 2017. Today we're going to focus on the implications of the tax cut bill that recently passed the House of Representatives and is making its way, in some form, through the Senate. If it passes, and there's some reason to doubt that it will, it will be the first major legislative victory for the Trump administration and the Republican-controlled Congress. The bill in its current form is extremely unpopular with with voters, and they're just beginning to understand what's in it—who wins, who loses, and what the long-term implications are for the U.S. economy. We'll discuss this all at length. Second, we'll take a look at some of the major geopolitical issues that are flaring up, which could have serious impact on the price of oil and the international economy in the near term. Ronaldo, you said that this bill will have exactly the opposite impact of how it's being sold. Uh, What do you mean by that? Let's walk through it piece by piece.
1: Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm I'm sorry to report, and I did do a tweet on this last uh, Friday where I talked about the fact that this is be, it's it's like it's like a shell game. You know, it's hide the pee. And you never win. The guy who moves the shell around does. And the issue here is what is it what are people what, what is what is the administration saying about this tax bill? And notice I don't call it a tax reform act. There's nothing in this act that's reformist. Uh, this this act is really a giant movement of money from the middle class to the top two percent, and in the case of the elimination of the estate tax deduction, that is benefited by the top one tenth of one percent because everybody with ten million or less when they die doesn't pay an estate tax now, so we're talking about people with more than ten million dollars at their death, and that ten million is something they hadn't given away to their kids before they died, and so that affects about one tenth of the top richest people in the country. And it's worth billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. So uh, it is an example of taking money out of the tax pot, which we then have to make up for middle class people, and giving it to the uber rich, the one-tenth, the one-percent richest. The rest of this tax bill benefits primarily the top 10%, but the way it's structured, mostly the top 2%. How do you get there? Well, let me start by saying how this bill was sold it was sold as gee we have to do this to reduce the corporate tax rate from 37.5% because it's the most it's the highest tax rate in the western industrial world and that is not true and everybody honest knows it's not true so 37.5% is what's called the stated rate of tax if you take the largest 1000 corporations in america They're actually paying at the 18 to 19% rate because we allow many deductions for our corporations already, which permit them not to pay the maximum tax of 37.5%. Let me give you an example. Apple makes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions, if not billions, actually billions of dollars overseas. As long as it keeps the money overseas, it doesn't pay tax on that at all, even though they show it as earnings. So when you go through, for example, General Electric's tax return, you're going to find almost no tax for the last five years. And, and that's not atypical. If you're a big enough company and you can afford a really good tax department, you'll probably pay very little in tax and certainly below 20% would be expected. No one's paying 37%. Well, not. some companies, and I belong to one actually that tries to pay its fair share because we believe in it as a social value. So Tailored Brands, a New York Stock Exchange traded company, actually has been paying 35 to 37%. And I really am proud of us for doing that. And we take a lot of heat for doing that because everybody says, why don't you pay less? Because, you, you know, there's all these rules you can take. And we don't take full advantage of the things we could do because we're trying to say that, you know, we care about the communities we serve. And, and we've done fine uh, at a 37.5% taxable rate. And I'm sure that other companies could afford to pay that with the current deductions. The corporate profits have been very high. They've gone up faster than individual workers' wages, for sure, which have been stagnating. They've gone up higher than almost any other category. They certainly have not driven up uh, capital expense, and they haven't driven up more employment. So they can't go any higher in employment. It's unemployment rate supposedly around 4.4%. 4, 4, 4. It's not going any lower than that. Uh, the capital expenditures is going to be what it is, is going to be because the profits are there to support it. So where is this money going to end up when you give these huge tax deductions to corporations and and, and the answer is, it's going to go to the top 2%. How? Well, all the corporate executives who are pushing so hard for this, they're going to be able to see that in their paycheck because they get a percentage of what their income is, is how their bonuses are calculated. You're going to see the very wealthiest people who own lots and lots of stocks benefit because their stocks are going to either get higher dividends or they're going to get stock repurchases. But we know that. Well, the last time we had a tax holiday back under Bush, where he allowed them to bring all sorts of money back from overseas at a reduced rate of 5%, all this money kept flooding into the country and none of it went for new capital expenditure none of it went for new employees. It all went for tax, for, for, for dividends and for um, basically repurchases of stock. So the share owners and the, the, the equity partners and the virtual capitalists, they're all going to have a heyday and it's going to come out of the pockets of the little guy. So if, if, if they're concerned about how much money, for example, corporations are storing overseas because they're not paying tax on it, real simple solution. If you and I, Matt, earn money in another country, Greece, uh, anywhere, England, we are required to report it on our federal and state tax as income earned because we're US citizens. Corporations don't have to do that. If they leave the money offshore, they don't get taxed. That's a terrible loophole. We should tax the money wherever it's earned, and then it won't. We won't have this problem. So, so that's another example of how the little guy can't take care of get a break that the big guys all get. But now, when you take a look at what the, the, the we've had the the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, which is neutral, has scored the House version of this tax bill, and what they've said is this is going to have to cut billions of dollars, hundreds of billions of dollars. Actually, three hundred thirty nine billion is what I heard from Um, from basically the insurance by getting rid of the mandate which means that 31 million people fewer will have insurance which means you and i will pay for them when they go into the emergency room with no insurance which means the cost of our insurance will go up to pay for those emergency room visits and that 31 million is on top of the 21 million that already don't have insurance and remember We were just under Obamacare two years ago, we got the number down from 48 million uninsured to 21 million. We were making progress in the right direction. This is going to completely wipe out that progress and make it worse than it was before we passed the ACA.
0: So, that's a lot of numbers that you just threw out. Let's go through this a little bit slower. I wanna talk a little bit about what this, the actual balance sheet of tax cuts versus tax increases and how how they're trying to say that they're paying for some of this stuff. I think the intricacies there are really important specifically that there's a limit of about $1.5 trillion that this can add to the deficit over 10 years, I believe. Can you talk a little yeah. bit about
1: that? Okay, so what the House did, in order to get it so that the they could pass the bill coming out of conference with the Senate, and then we'll talk about that process in a second, that process, at the end, cannot add more than $1.5 trillion to the deficit or the House vote is invalid. So how are they going to bring a, this bill, which is going to call, blow a budget far bigger than $1.5 trillion in the deficit, how are they going to get it through the House? Well, the answer is they've got to find the money somewhere else to pay for this all these massive cuts, starting with the estate tax, which is crazy, going to corporate taxes, which is equally crazy. And by the way, I just want a footnote here. McConnell and several other Republicans in the House and Senate have candidly admitted the reason this is happening is because the donor base of the Republican Party that's put in hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for these elections since the end of, of the Citizens United, they want their payback. And what they've, the, all the honest Republicans have said is, look, if we don't give this to our donor class. They're not going to be there with hundreds of millions more in 2018. We need to get reelected. So what this is about is a giveaway to the donor class, pure and simple. Check it out, folks. Read a lot. You'll conclude the same thing is true. And I don't care whether you're a Democrat, a Republican or an independent, if you make less than $75,000 a year, so you make between $10,000 and $75,000, you are going to be a loser. You're going to pay more tax. If you make between 75000 and probably close to about a half a million, you're not going to pay more tax right away, but you'll pay it again in 2026 because the few breaks you did get are going to go away, automatically go away. The corporate tax breaks, however, automatically stay in place forever. So this is, it's very easy to see what this is. It's very, very easy. It's a giveaway. It's a massive redistribution of wealth from the middle, even the upper middle and the lower classes to the super rich, to the Uber rich, and they just don't need it. And the fact of the matter is, if it goes through, it's gonna dent the economy so badly that I predict the stock market, which is due for a correction anyway, will still correct, not because they didn't get their tax exemption, which is what they're afraid of now. The reason it'll, it'll crater is because consumption will go down as more and more burden is put on the middle class. And without the middle class consuming, we don't have an economy. So back to the $1.5 max in the House bill. It cannot go above $1.5 because that's the budget.
0: They the, the, this cannot go, The the bill cannot create more than $1.5 trillion in deficit spending, meaning it can't exceed the current situation by 1.5 trillion dollars is that
1: right right yeah they cannot let the deficit go up by more than 1.5 or the budget resolution they passed to authorize this law would be in default which means they'd have to start all over again in the house so what they've got to do now here's the process for high school civics for those who don't remember the house passes a bill the senate passes a bill loosely on the same subject and i'll come to the senate version in a moment When it does, it goes into conference. That's where the dirty work is done behind closed doors and nobody can see it. And what will happen there is whatever vestige of support there was for the little guy before that meeting, they will chop it down till they get to 1.5 trillion and they won't take it away from the estate tax and they won't take it away from the corporations and they won't take it from the wealthy. Guess who's going to get stung? You and me. So whether you're a Democrat, a Republican or an independent, you are going to, there's a 98% chance you're going to get hurt. And if you make between $10,000 and $75,000, you are going to get hurt immediately. So you should call for tax justice. This is not, there's nothing about reform in this tax bill. This is a tax giveaway. It's a tax restructuring. I'm glad that my analysis is the same that Paul Krugman has made. Uh, Stiglitz has made that. Larry Summers, the former treasury secretary has led it. In it. He's been more vocal than the rest of us. He's called this insanity. He's called this basically chicanery. He's called it uh, improper conduct. And, and the, the tragedy is that the lies being told about this bill, they will say any, okay, I'll just tell you a story. Gary Cohen, who's in charge of putting this bill through, was invited by Goldman Sachs to meet with 250 CEOs. And during the meeting, as he explained what the tax cuts were going to be and how much better it was to be for the corporations, the moderator said, it could, could, there's a couple hundred people in the room, all CEOs, big companies. And he said, Can I see a show of hands. How many of you will increase capital spending or increase employment if this tax bill passes? Five hands went up total. And Gary was so shocked, he said, where are the rest of the hands? Well, the rest of the hands were telling the truth. Because what the tr- those hands were saying is, and they're in the Goldman Sachs auditorium, hey, we're going to give it back to the shareholders. Shareholders are going to do great here. They're going to, Either going to get re- repurchases or they're going to get dividends, and the executives are going to pay it a ton more. So everybody's happy. What's who doesn't win here? So a bunch of people who are middle class. Yeah, we take a few thousand bucks here and there from them, it. Won't really matter. It does matter. People have not had a real wage increase in decades, and this tax increase therefore reduces their spending power, which is already on I think on life support. So what you have to do is look at this and say, wait a minute. No matter what my politics are. I got to protect my pocketbook and everybody should be calling their Congressman and their Senator saying, don't you dare do this to us. Don't you take a dive like this at our expense. We see what you're doing. You're enriching corporate interests and the top 2% at our expense. And we won't do any. We're mad as hell. And we won't take it anymore. To quote a famous Patty Chavsky movie. We're mad as hell and we won't take it anymore. We're simply not going to allow you to do this. And we'll hold you accountable if you do. We're watching. And that's what's going to have to happen, because the Senate bill, which may not get through, and this is where our hope is, there are already three senators who have expressed reservations on this bill. One is that he's he's going to vote against
0: it. Ronald, R- R- let's, let's hold off for one second on the analysis of the politics, just because I want to I talk a little bit more about the, the way to think about this. I, I think that this is one of the most blatant examples of a word that I, or a term I'm, I'm fond of, which is the class war. And... The class war, you know, generally is thought of as some sort of, you know, Republicans call anything raising taxes on the rich class war, but they conveniently forget about that term uh, when it comes to uh, what they're doing right now, which is raising taxes on the middle class. It's mind boggling that they're pushing legislation that's actually going to increase the tax burden on people up to $75,000. And your point before that, I think might have gotten a little lost in the shuffle, is that the cuts to the ACA and the, the, you know, the the mandate that everyone have insurance, uh, the fact that that's coming out is going to increase premiums for everyone else. So not only are the lower and middle class getting an increased tax burden straight up, but they're also getting a hidden tax in the form of their premiums increasing if they do are able to have health insurance. I mean, could you imagine this raw power grab happening 10 years ago, five years ago, 20
1: years ago? No, no, no. This, look, this is a symptom of a distorted political situation. I mean, let me step back. You've got the Republican Party in open civil war with itself. I would guess that two-thirds of the base supports Bannon and Trump. One-third still supports uh, the traditional Republican Party, even though it's conservative. Um, the Republican traditionalists are fighting for survival. Uh, they can't seem to control the base. And, and, and you know, when they see somebody like Ray, uh, Roy, uh, what's his name? Roy. Um...
0: Spence?
1: No, no. No, no. no. Roy. Roy uh... You know, from Alabama. Oh, yeah. I'll
0: look at it. Ray Moore, sorry.
1: Moore, yeah. Ray Moore. I, they, they threw everything they could in the kitchen sink at that guy to stop him with the traditional Republicans, and they couldn't. Even Trump came out against him. Now, I don't know whether Doug Jones is going to stop him or not. That's interesting, something to think about. May or may not. But at the end of the day, Um, the Republicans cannot hold their party together. They're in full civil war. So keeping the donor base attached to the traditional Republicans is just why they're fighting so hard for this tax break, gives them the firepower, the the ammunition to fight back, to try and pull their party back from banning. And what they're not willing to do apparently is to change their politics. So they're less dependent on that two thirds of the base. So if they would get more towards the middle. They wouldn't be dependent on a two-thirds base, but what they're doing is they're going further and further right to try to fight for that base, which I don't think they can beat Bannon and Trump at.
0: That's the problem, right? Is they're they're enacting a legislative agenda. If this is their one thing to hang their hat on, they're saying essentially our number one goal is re- keeping the tax breaks and increasing tax breaks for the wealthy, but that doesn't play with that hardline Trump crowd. You know, the 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 kind of Obama slash Trump voters. That's that's going to play really badly. And it's just an incredible opening for a real progressive uh, in 2020 and, and real progressive, pol- uh, you know, politicians in the house running in the house in 2018. This is a clear I mean, if they if they play it right, this is just a clear sellout of the American people and there's no other way to really slice it.
1: Yeah, I, I think. And, 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 and that's why I mean, because you asked why this is happening, right? I mean, the reason is the Republic, the one third of the Republican Party that has historically controlled the money and still does probably is fighting for survival against the two thirds that doesn't control the money, but controls the base. And that's particularly important in primaries. Now let's say Roy Moore gets defeated by Doug Jones in Alabama. That'll cause him to rethink the whole thing, because that means that when you let Mann and Trump nominate at the base level in the primary and you go to run on that, you could very well lose and likely will. Because even if someone like Roy Moore can get through in Alabama, did you notice that every major newspaper in Alabama has now come out against Roy Moore? Did you aware of that? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. It happened. It happened yesterday. To. Yeah. Well, not only that, but no, but you know what? The I, I saw the woman interviewed who wrote that column, and she said the reason, although these revelations are terrible, and they believe them because of the, the, the specificity, the, the, the fact that they've got external evidence, the corroboration— All these reasons, but she said, but when we thought about it, we remembered that this guy has been um, on the wrong side of justice the two times he got thrown out of being a Supreme Court justice. I mean, the guy actually got thrown out as chief justice of the state of Alabama twice for refusing to enforce the law. And this is a guy who's on record as saying that being a Muslim should be illegal and no Muslim should be allowed in Congress. He's on record saying that, that, that it should be illegal to be gay not even to get caught in a gay act, but to be gay should be illegal, that same-sex marriage should be prevented, that women should never have access to contraception or abortion, and if they gave you access to contraception, they have to get their husband's permission in effect. This is a guy who would live better in ISIS territory than in America. Yeah, And that's why they came out against him, not just because of the, 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 the sex scandals. Although the sex scandals alone, this guy is a pedophile. And if you ask, why hasn't he committed these acts since then? I don't know if he has or hasn't, but once a pedophile, usually you don't become sexually straight unless you try to wrap yourself in something that isn't you. I don't know. I don't want to talk about the man's character. I want to talk about what the allocations are, and I want to talk about the fact that the people of Alabama are, are on the firing line. Are they going to be willing in the Republican Party, in the base? Are they going to be willing to say it doesn't matter what he did? It doesn't matter how bad he is. It doesn't matter whether he's a pedophile. It doesn't matter whether he's a bad Supreme Court justice, he's better than a Democrat. That's the height of tribalism. And that's what's breaking the Republican Party apart. Unfortunately, the Republican Party started all this by pushing the Tea Party years ago. And I want to point out, that prominent members of the Tea Party have now come out against Roy Moore, just for what it's worth. And I believe that if people were to think about the basis of the Tea Party way back when it began, it was partially a revolt against deficits, and, a, and an unfair tax structure. And this is what the Republican Party is handing to them as spades now. So I'm really concerned that the American public gets smart and does everything in their power to get their senators to stop it. Now, shall I transition into the Senate bill?
0: Yeah, I think that's good. I mean, this is, we'll, we'll know about this election on Tuesday, December 12th, and it'll send a signal to the people working on the Senate bill.
1: Yeah. So the Senate bill is what injects the removal of the health care mandate, which means that 13 million more people will not have health insurance, And that means the rest of us will definitely eventually year after year have our health care bills keep going up because we have to pay for the emergency room visits of those 13 million people. And and again, remember, we're the only nation in the civilized world that doesn't provide uniform universal health care to all. And when you do provide universal health care to all, as is is clear by looking at the cost of health care in all 27 industrialized nations, and they're all dramatically cheaper than ours. I think the most expensive version is about half what we spend in health care. So we're spending twice as much for a program that doesn't work for what will now be 48 million people, 45 million people. And we are getting a, a bad result across the board. And and, and if you want to see how bad this is, take a subset of healthcare. We, through corporate power, allow all of the big pharma companies to charge between 30 to 40 percent more for drugs made in America and sold in America by American companies than those same drugs are sold in Germany. Why? Because we don't allow the government to negotiate prices in Germany, England, France all do require it. So it's another giant giveaway to big pharma. And it comes out of our pockets, directly or indirectly. That, to me, is where we should be looking hardest. That's where we should be looking. And this deal with the tax, with the, which the, they want to call it a tax reform bill, it's crazy to call it that. It's like, it's like doublespeak. It's, uh, what was that famous book, 1984? Um, peace is war, war is peace. Tax break for the rich, we call it tax reform. People will never figure out. They're too lazy. What they're counting on is for people to be too lazy. And what they're counting on in Alabama is for people to be so tribalistic that they don't even care that they're going to get hurt. And, you know, if you don't ever read the magazine The Week, and I urge you to do it, it's a good magazine. The cover this week is damage control, and it's McConnell desperately trying to take Roy Moore from behind the podium. There is a war going on in the Republican Party, and they're going to – and through this tax bill, they're asking us to fund – traditional Republican side of the party against the insurgents at our cost. And we've got to say no to that. It's Hmm. just wrong. It's gone too far.
0: So another issue in the tax bill is the SALT state and local tax rates, which uh, will probably affect a lot of our listeners in high tax uh, states like California and New York. Are there other... uh, Do you want to explain what that is, Ronaldo?
1: Yeah, okay. So SALT... SALT stands for state... um, And local tax. So a local tax is your property tax. State tax is your your income tax. So those advanced states, which do more for their citizens, which provide more benefits, and who run at a better, operate better. So the state of California, for example, is now 10 years ahead of where it thought it would be in the conversion off of fossil fuels. just came out today in an article we published in the Optimus Daily. So we've invested in that, and it's paid off big time dividends for us. Well, we in those higher tax states, which would be New York, Pennsylvania, California, etc., Washington, Oregon, we've done more for our citizens by charging more local tax, and we produced a better state to live in. And other states, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, uh, Georgia, have paid a lot. They pay a lot less in taxes because they don't. They're not trying to improve their societies the way we are. So as a result, by eliminating or reducing the SALT deduction, and they're talking about eliminating it, it makes the burden shift from the states that do the least to protect their populations, Alabama, Mississippi, Louisiana, et cetera. It it gives them a benefit, and it takes more money out of the pockets of people who are already high-tax-paying states like California and New York. With that in mind, every single Republican from a high-tax state, which is about 50, 60%, 50, 60%, I believe, are affected of all the states. It might be higher. And certainly more than 75% of the population is affected by this. Those people, and I'm and I'm going to quote Darrell Issa, one of the most, if not the most, conservative Republican in Orange County, who voted no against the House bill, which is better than the, the Senate bill being proposed, and he voted against it on salt. He said, You know what? That's not fair to my constituents, and I got to take care of my constituents. He voted one of 13 Republicans who voted no. Now, when someone like Daryl Issa is willing to call the truth behind the salt elimination for what it is, I would say that any congressman in any salt affected state, which is probably at least, again, 70 percent of the population, has an obligation to vote against this tax bill because they're only hurting their own people. And the belief that was expressed by many of those people was, gee, we'll get rid of it in the the conference bill. No, you won't. No, the conference bill is going to come out worse for the little guy, not better. It's going to come out worse for salt, not better. Because remember, this whole thing is for the donor class. It's not for the citizen. And that's what you have to keep remembering. It's the donor class on one side, m- meaning the Republican donor class, and the the um, citizen on the other side. Now, does that mean that rich Democrats won't benefit? Yeah, they'll, they'll benefit for it. But frankly, I've read many articles now by rich Democrats who said, we don't need it. We're doing just fine. And our, Warren Buffett being the leader of that pack. Bill Gates is in that pack. I mean – we don't need to do this. So why are we doing it is the question. And the answer is because we're putting the donor class of the Republican Party to fund that one third of the Republican Party to try to take their party back from the, the, the Trump Bannon wing. And frankly, I think they're going to fail even when they steal our money. They're going to fail. So we're going to pay for something we won't get. And in the process, we're going to have ourselves one mess of an economy. I mean, a real mess.
0: You mentioned this already, but the things that are crucial to the, that donor class are the estate tax, uh, which as you said, only affects one-tenth of 1% uh, of people at the very, very top of the wealth ladder, and the, what, the corporate tax cut, is that the other piece that they really care about?
1: Well, the corporate tax is the, is the biggest piece. That's where the, that's where the real enchilada is. The corporate tax cut from 37.5 to 20 is insane first of all it's not needed at all we're doing just fine if you look at the effective tax rate it's down below 20% already this is just pure greed it's just like hey we put all this money into you guys pay us back right. corporate guys think that way that's what makes them corporate guys they're are not. These are not these are not civilian politicians that are like looking out for the public good these are corporate people who want to maximize profit for themselves first share or second
0: so and you, you mentioned in, in, the, in the setup that you see a market correction coming either way this is something we've been talking about all year do you want to expand on that a, a little bit more so everyone understands exactly what you mean
1: yeah I mean so as Steve Mnuchin the secretary of the Treasury said two weeks ago if they don't get the corporate tax cut they're looking for it won't put hundreds of billions of dollars of additional money on the bottom line of corporations which means that the price times the earnings, what's on the bottom line, ratio will be out of whack, and the stock market will correct, seriously correct. I'm calling for a 20 to 30 percent correction, so a 30 to 20 percent, 30, 20 to 30 percent correction of the S&P 500, for example. Now, that's if they don't get the tax bill. I'm saying if they do get the tax bill. When Gary Cohen asked that question, and only five people put up their hands, they're not going to increase capital expenditure, and they're not going to increase employment. So they're going to be taking more money out of the middle class without giving it back, and therefore, because they're doing that, they will end up reducing consumption power. And remember, our economy, over 70% of our economy, operates on consumption. And and when you give somebody who's a billionaire an extra $100 million, it doesn't change what he or she consumes because they're already consuming whatever they want anyway. When you give someone who's making fifty thousand dollars a year an extra two, three, four thousand dollars a year, two, three, four, five hundred dollars more a month, they spend it typically. So it does go back into consumption. And what we need to do is really look at this now to see what we can do to balance our economy so it serves the middle class, regrowing our consumption making us more competitive, investing in education, investing, which we don't, investing in infrastructure, which we don't. So where does China beat the heck out of us? They invest tremendously in education. You can get a free education all the way through your PhD. Transportation, within 10 years, flat. They built a, a nationwide, state-of-the-art, high-speed rail system. Now they've declared every car is going to have to be electric past a certain date. They've declared that every um, that their buses are going to be hydrogen. So China is moving fast in all the areas where we had leadership for 150 years, and we are falling further behind. It is instructive that at the recent Asian summit of the 19 Asian nations, all but one was in alignment with the policies of China. That one country, now isolated, was the United States of America. It was the only country in the world now. Even Syria has signed on to the uh, Paris Accords. Now the only nation in the world that hasn't is the United States. So what we have is a cabal that took over our country. I think even the Republican Party was shocked because they didn't think that Trump was going to get elected. And they're fighting now for their life. And they're going to try and fight that fight with our money because they've run out of everything else. And that's what this tax bill is. It's a fight to save that one third of the Republican Party and give them the ability to take hundreds of millions of dollars in to fight the insurgent two thirds of their base, which they basically created. And by so, the way, what I'm talking about, you know, there was a, just this week, I think it was the American Psychological Association released their, uh, I think it's an annual Stress in America survey. And nearly 60% of the 3,440 people polled said that they consider the present day to be the lowest point in our nation's history that they can remember. 60%. That's a pretty active number. 3440 is a good size polling sample. People feel this stress people know that this is going on and they haven't stood up to make a difference in big enough numbers to the people of Alabama vote Roy Moore down please it's an insult to your state if you were to be elected by you and it would give give rise to a whole to decades of bad Alabama jokes and with regard to the people who are not sure of whether they can get into this tax fight if you stop this tax bill in the US Senate and we're very close we've got one senator who's already come out against it two others that say they're very unlikely to vote for it takes three to say no if three say no it'll be this will go down the way the health care thing did it'll stop because the be no conference committee if this gets to conference it's over folks ben, just bend over and kiss your tush goodbye because we're gonna have one heck of a bad recession we're gonna we're gonna have a tremendous deterioration. There's gonna be a lot more violence in politics and otherwise. And we have to fight for our country now. And again, Democrat, Republican, Independent. And I've been Independent for 30 years. Whatever you are, now you got to stand up. You got to call your senators, particularly in those ones that are that are wavering in a Republican state, and say, Look, don't you dare do this to me with my money. Don't you try to buy back your power with my money. You fight your base on ideology. Don't fight him with my money. And um, try and stop this thing.
0: So, Ronaldo, one, one thing that we mentioned when, when we were doing our preparation is uh, an example of just how out of control the, uh, Pluto, the plutocracy has gotten. And, and the painting. One, the One example is a painting that sold for $400 million recently.
1: Four, actually, 450 to be exact. It was 400 of the seller. $50 million was the commission to Christie's. Wow. Now, when somebody can buy... A, a painting, Salvatore Mundi, is a purported work by Leonardo Da Vinci. Many art experts believe he didn't paint it, actually. Wow. Uh, and, they, and they believe that it's been touched up so many times, it's hard to tell who the original painter was. But let's just say it was Da Vinci. To pay $450 million for a painting, which will be locked in a vault somewhere, means that the person who bought that is so egregiously wealthy that they could afford to buy something and lock it up. Why are they going to lock it up? Because they don't want the thieves to come steal it from them. It's the most valuable painting in the world by far. Now, I mean, you imagine if you could steal a 450 million dollar painting? Good Lord. So, and this painting did disappear for decades after the, it, it was originally given to the King of France, the King of France, I think he, he ended up selling to the King of England and it came down through they lost it for a couple hundred years and it reappeared and it's, it's, it's just a long story. But my point is, even if it's an authentic Leonardo da Vinci. And by the way, the name of the painting, Salvatore Mundi, that's Latin for savior of the world, not savior of the rich. And that that much money is aggregating at the top while everybody else has been struggling for 30 or 40 years in the middle. That's just wrong. It's just wrong. Please read Paul Krugman's work on this. Read my tweets. Read Stiglitz. Um, Listen to Larry Summers on this one, although there's many times I don't agree with Larry Summers. I totally agree with his analysis on this one. And know that you're doing this for yourself, folks. If you can stop this money train, you can bring sanity back to the nation. And then your stress levels will not be so
0: high. Well, while we're talking about the insanely wealthy and uh, political control, let's talk a little bit about Saudi Arabia and the impact of the shakeup there that's going on um, that could it resound down through the oil markets and theoretically have uh, global implications.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great transition because um, if, if you if, if you listen to um, the news and you hear the initials MBS, uh, that stands for Mohammed bin Salman. The MBS is a 36 or 37-year-old prince who's now been designated the heir apparent in Saudi Arabia and has grabbed control of every wing of the country. Now, on the one hand, people say that's probably a good thing because Saudi Arabia had a very morally bankrupt political system uh, and the spread of all these different princes having a split of control kept it from ever reforming itself, probably true. Uh, and clearly Saudi Arabia is running out of money, as we've talked about many times in the show, so they had to do something to get a bunch of money. So what he did is he locked up the richest Saudis at the Ritz-Carlton, they don't have a prison for princes, and what he's doing is he's shaking them down, and he's doing what Putin does to the oligarchs, and he's saying, look, you did really well, here's what you got to give back or you don't walk free. Sign the check, or, you know, we'll cut off your room service. But basically... These very, very wealthy Saudis are being forced in line. He has eliminated politically all challenges to his authority. So he's not only the heir apparent, he's the head of the military, he's the head of the the economy, he's the head of the, quote, corruption force, which is unlimited in its power. That's how he locked up all these other guys. And what he's saying is there's only one house of Saudi anymore. It's my house. And I want absolute authority. Now, that might not be a bad thing if all he was trying to do was clean up Saudi Arabia. But that isn't what he's doing. What he's doing is he's gone to war with, in a proxy war in Yemen with the Shiites, with the Iranians. He made a deal with the the Israelis, which I long ago predicted they would do. You may remember me talking about this, Matt, years ago. That the Sunnis and the Israelis have more in common than the Sunnis and the Shia. And sooner or later, they're going to make a deal. Well, they made a deal. And when the prime minister of Lebanon, which sits on Israel's southern border and who Israel wanted to see removed... When the Prime Minister of Lebanon was in Saudi Arabia, he resigned his office in Lebanon. I don't think he was given a choice. Whereas the princes were going to be put in the Ritz-Carlton, I think if the Prime Minister hadn't cooperated, he would have been dead. So he, on Saudi television, resigns. One
0: of the princes did uh, potentially die in a assassination in a yes. helicopter crash.
1: Yes, and the one who was purportedly against it, you know, and when when he locked him up in the in, in the in the um. Ritz Carlton, he suspended all of their aircraft, all those jets they own. They can't leave the country. He suspended all their passports. They're locked. They're not going anywhere until they cooperate. This is the act of a complete autocrat, a dictator. So he's now turned Saudi Arabia into dictatorship. The question is will he be using that power? that he's aggregating with the Israelis. That's why they've. So he toppled the prime minister of Lebanon, who sits on Israel's southern border, because he felt that was that, that the, Iran, the, Iraq, the Iranians were starting to have too much impact on him through Hezbollah. He's gearing up for a war against Hezbollah at Israel's request. Israel, therefore, is backing him against the Shiites. And what you're going to see is a conflagration in the Middle East. It started in Yemen, but it won't end in Yemen. It'll spread.
0: Well, arguably it started in Syria and arguably before that Iraq. I mean, the, the proxy war has been ongoing. Yes.
1: Yes, the pro, but, but not, not the way this Yemeni thing is. See, the Yemeni thing, uh, if you take Syria, there were so many people with an early stake in that crisis, including Russia. And if you look at Iraq, well, in Iraq, there was an eight-year war. The Iranians fought the Iraqis to a standstill. Uh, the Iraqis used chemical weapons. The Iranians did not. And eventually, it was a standstill, and they they called a halt. The Americans invaded Iraq, overturned Saddam Hussein, and immediately thereafter, the Iranians went all the way to Baghdad, where they now control. Which sort of makes sense. And if you people want to go to an article I wrote on this subject a number of years ago, I predicted in that article that there was no Iraq, and I said what you're going to find is that the um, the uh, uh, Iraq is really three. Countries in one. And I was quoting the uh, the first king of Iraq who said, There is no Iraq. And I said, What there really is, there's a a Kurdistan, there's a Shia stand, which is everything from Iran all the way over to, uh, to, um, uh, uh, well, no, it goes all the way up to Baghdad pretty much. And then the Sunni part of Iraq starts in the middle. And what the Sunnis controlled was the oil refining capacity, which is why ISIS went there first. What the Iranians controlled from Baghdad south was the actual oil itself. And the Kurds had a mixture of better control, meaning a better political system, a better military system by far, and a better um, uh, an oil system of their own. So those three countries uh, were were really put on a map with by Winston Churchill without even having ever been there. And he just draw, drew a line and said, okay, this will be called Iraq. And that particular article, which I'm going to look up right now, if you go to um, – gosh, where is that? It's way back there now. I have to go see if I can find it. Uh, it's, it's on our website, and I'm just trying to see if I can find it quickly for you. If I can, I'll read it out to you. The
0: wisdom of Two Generals, maybe?
1: No, no, that's a good article. That's not it. Uh, earlier in this broadcast, I did talk about trickle-up economics and why it doesn't work. Didn't I talk about that? Yeah. Okay, that article's called Saving the U.S. Economy with Trickle-Up Economics. And what I wrote back then is 100% applicable today. Saving the U.S. Economy with Trickle-Up Economics is on our website. But the one I'm trying to find, if I can find it, is... See, I can't find it. Can Can you find it? We'll stick it in the show notes. In fact, I hope it's there. Maybe it's not. Yeah. Anyway, um, and, and that one talks about the fact that there is no Iraq and, 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 and that really is one that people want to pay attention to, particularly in the current context. So when I say the Yemeni war is the first example of a, uh, uh, of a uh, how to put it, it's the first example of a true proxy fight where the Sunnis and the Shia went after each other. The Shia on the ground with the Houthi rebels. Why did the Saudis care? Because Yemen, Yemen is on the southern border of Saudi Arabia. The Saudis had superior firepower by far. And so they threw this firepower at the Yemenis and they destroyed the civilian population. And they created unbelievable chaos. But they can't win because they don't have people on the ground. And Saudi Arabia is not going to have an army. And so they're relying unduly on American air power. And what they're going to learn is what we learned in Vietnam. You can have all the air power in the world. It doesn't change the fact you got to have people on the ground, too, that can actually take and hold territory. So they're going to lose the Yemeni crisis, and they probably know it. So what they have to do is get into a war where they could win with air power. Regrettably, that means attacking the Shia directly, Iran. So they're setting up a circle of influence on the northern side of the peninsula, all the way down from Israel through Lebanon. They've got Syria already right? Because they, they control through Russia, they control Syria. So that now it's coming down to Iran versus the rest of the Arab world. I predict Iran will win. However, it will take so many years, and there'll be so much destruction. It could drive the price of oil up dramatically for some period of time. A metaphor I would give you is we have a snake. The snake is the oil at a $50 barrel price. If the snake swallows an elephant... There'll be some period of time where the elephant will swell the size of the stake. So the snake, the price will go to 75, a hundred, maybe even $140 a barrel again. But eventually all that additional oil money will only cause the snake to digest the oil bubble, the, the elephant quicker. And we'll get back down to $50 or less because it will accelerate the transition off of fossil fuels, which is already occurring. And as I've said, I mean, China is doing hydrogen buses, only electric cars from here on out, and is converting more, more into solar than any other country in the world. They surpassed the U.S. in solar. So it's coming. By the way, California is 10 years, as I said, 10 years ahead of its solar adoption schedule. So this will just further accelerate it if they are able to create this war in the Middle East that drives prices up. Now, the Russians love this because the Russians are going broke at oil at $50 a barrel. So if it goes from 50 to 100, 120, 130, it buys Putin what he needs, which is bread. Cuz he's going to have more and more problem cuz you cannot keep Russians if they starve. So the Russians fight for bread, and they typically do it in the winter. So he's got to be able to afford his keeping his populace bribed. The economy has been dropping in Russia cuz of the oil prices. So disturbance in the Middle in the Middle East plays into his hands because nothing's disturbing Russia. So he'll keep pumping oil at a huge profit. So these are very people. Have to understand, these are major geopolitical things happening and they affect us all. So when MBS, watch for those initials, does what he's doing in Saudi Arabia, what you want to be tracking is what he does then is against the rest of the Shia. Now that they've got rid of the prime minister of Lebanon. So how is this battle going to shape next? Where's the next attack point going to be? And how is it going to unfold? And with the Israeli on the Saudi side, that gives the Israelis even more firepower, more intelligence on the ground, and it gives them a tremendous amount of, um, of uh, uh, technology that's not even militarily, but it's intelligence technology, et cetera, and of course, access to unlimited money.
0: Because of the U.S. backing?
1: Well, more than U.S. You're talking about the international Jewish community. You're way bigger than the U.S. at that
0: point. Oh, Israel. I thought you meant Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Okay.
1: No, Israel. Yeah, Israel. And the U.S., under the Trump administration, will continue to back the Saudis, no matter what they do, no matter how heinous and stupid.
0: And the Israelis, frankly. Yeah. Um, interesting. Well, it's it's definitely a dangerous situation. Uh, but, Ronaldo, I think that we can leave it there for now on on that those politics, unless there's more you want to add. I, what I would like to ask is, given the, the two major factors you pointed out on the show today, would you, Do you have recommendations for people in terms of what they should be doing with their money and how to protect it? Yeah.
1: I want to reinforce what I've said in prior comments. Uh, I've sold all of my general stocks in the S&P 500 and the Dow. I held on to a couple of dividend-paying stocks with some regret. One of them was General Electric, and I got hurt on that one. So I'm sorry I hung on to that one for the dividend. So I'm basically out of the market. I've put my money into other things. I'll be happy to talk about them. Uh, if you notice, gold continues to go up. So the people who followed my recommendation last year in October are continuing. To last yeah, was was last October when did I do gold? For, maybe it wasn't that far back. Maybe it was about August September of this year is when I think I, I told people I was going from ten to fifteen percent. Remember, I was I went ten percent gold last year and then this year I went up to fifteen percent. That has turned out to be a great investment for people because it keeps going up. I predict. It probably will keep continuing going up because I see some inflationary pressures on the global economy. I also see some downside pressures on the global economy which right now is doing very well. And that causes me some concern, frankly. Um, so I'm I'm, I'm I'm saying stay out of the general market. And if you need to find places to put your money, one place is to put it into a, um, a GLD, if you, which is the ETF for gold. You can get it at Charles Schwab if you want. Uh, or you can put it in, and don't put 100% in. Probably put 15, 20%, whatever. Uh, you can put it into um, a. Um, there, there are several short-term bond funds, but I don't like to recommend bond funds to people because most people don't know how to get in and out of them. So, uh, if you don't have a financial advisor and you want to hang on to your money through the next 20, 30-point dip in the market, take and put it in cash in the form of a money market. Doesn't pay anything, but you won't lose anything. And if I'm wrong, six months or now. Now, okay, you have lost a couple of percent, but you won't have lost much. Go, go, go put it back in the market. If you notice, since I've told people to get their money out of the market, the market's basically gone sideways. So you really haven't lost anything if you took it out. And if you could make two to 3% on any of the various investments, by all means, do it. Um, I think you can still get with $25,000 or more, you can still get into the World Business Academy. Um uh advised fund at uh first affirmative i'm not sure of that because first affirmative was acquired by folio a couple months ago and i haven't received confirmation back they'll continue to let people in of limited means we set that up for people of limited means that fund has done extremely well well over 10 percent gain uh last year so um that would be another place to go and um i think watch for my tweets i'm going to start tweeting tweaking more because this, this this stuff is happening so fast now matt And each turn in the road brings a different conclusion. But I can tell you this, it's the most important thing. Become alive and active. Get to your senators, get to your congressmen. The only way this government's going to change is if we change it. You know, there's this famous man, H.L. Macon, who was a very cynical guy. And he wrote that in a democracy, people inevitably get better than they deserve. Meaning, if you get screwed in a democracy, it's because you didn't turn up to speak up for yourself. If this tax bill, this giveaway to the rich from the middle class goes through, we as citizens have only ourselves to blame. We can't blame the greedy buggers that brought it on. We can't blame the Republicans that are paying off their donor class by their own admission. We gotta blame us, because we're the ones letting it happen. Please come alive, get involved. And my last request is, please get a free subscription to Optimus Daily. It'll help you to think of all the good things that are happening, to balance against some of the negative things I have to talk about on the show, even though I don't like it. And I guess I'll end with one last thought. I've never seen in my entire life, any problem, any challenge that we cannot solve with today's technology and resources, if we choose to do so. The question is, will we choose to do so? If we do, the future's bright. If we don't, we'll end up getting what we deserve, I'm afraid. So God bless everybody. And uh, let's hope that we will get more active as a nation, Get more engaged, and we'll see our stress levels come down. And particularly by reading Optimus Daily, it'll bring your stress levels down.
0: Uh, a quick note uh, to everyone, you know, Optimus Daily makes for great dinner conversation over Thanksgiving. So make sure you check it out and sign up before then. Everyone who's celebrating this holiday can bring something optimistic to the table and to be grateful for. And actually print it out and hand it out if you want. Uh, Thanks, Ronaldo, and thanks to our listening audience, and we'll talk to you again next month.
1: Thanks very much, everybody. Appreciate it, and I hope I can help you all um, and myself as we ride through these perilous times. We can do it. We just have to choose to get active. Thanks so much.